Welcome to Media Training and Story Making. I'm your host, Wyeth Ruthven. I teach people the skills to tell their own stories. I've been a media trainer for 10 years, a political operative for 25 years, and a storyteller my whole life. On the menu today, a media training tip about your voice and your accent, a book about what it's like to be a speechwriter, a story about election night in Mexico, and an interview with Pablo Manriquez, congressional correspondent for Latino Rebels and La Politica Online. Today's media training tip involves the elements of nonverbal communication, specifically the difference between vocal communication and verbal communication. Verbal communication is what you say and the words you use. Vocal communication is how you speak. Elements of vocal communication include pitch, enunciation, and accent. Pitch is whether your voice is high-pitched or low-pitched, a soprano or a bass. Enunciation is how clearly you communicate your words. It's the pacing and clarity of your words. The best way to improve enunciation is to shorten your sentences. Long sentences with commas and dependent clauses turn into run-on sentences. Run-on sentences trip you up. If your sentence has more than two commas in it, cut it into shorter sentences. The key thing to keep in mind with vocal nonverbals is this. Keep them consistent and authentic. An accent can actually be a positive thing. Local commercials, especially for local car dealerships, use regional accents all the time because studies have shown that customers trust car dealers who sound like them. People ask me which is better, high-pitched or low-pitched. The answer is, it depends. Faking a voice or forcing a neutral accent is going to come across as phony and make your message less credible. Consistency and authenticity is what's important. Figure out what works for you and stick to it. The book I'm reviewing for this episode is What I Saw at the Revolution by Peggy Noonan. I decided to read this book because I'm part of Generation X and I grew up during the presidency of Ronald Reagan. This book is about Peggy Noonan, the first woman to be chief White House speechwriter. Noonan wrote for both Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush. My favorite part of the book is the story of how Peggy Noonan became the author of The Biggest Broken Promise in American History. Noonan wrote the acceptance speech for George H.W. Bush at the 1988 Republican Convention. She wrote the phrase, Read my lips, 
no new taxes. Other staffers kept trying to take the phrase out, and she kept putting it back in. Noonan liked the phrase, read my lips, because it was memorable and definitive. In fact, it was so memorable and so definitive that when Bush broke that promise, it became the most famous broken promise in American political history. Sometimes, being memorable is a bad thing. I learned from this book something about the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. Ronald Reagan canceled the State of the Union to give an Oval Office address the day the shuttle exploded. The speech was originally scheduled for 9 p.m., but Reagan moved it to 5 p.m. because he wanted children who had watched the explosion at school to be able to watch his speech. His main goal in the speech was to reassure those children. And that's my review of today's book, What I Saw at the Revolution, by Peggy Noonan. In the year 2000, I was an election observer with the Carter Center in Mexico. I was a media analyst, which meant that I sat in a suite at the Sheridan Hotel in downtown Mexico City and did press clippings all day. What I remember about the press clippings from Election Day is that some newspapers had cartoons portraying President Carter as a CIA agent and that the Observer mission was sent to Mexico to spy on the elections. From our hotel window, you could look outside and see El Ángel de la Independencia. It's a statue of a golden angel heralding the independence of Mexico. It's on top of a 140-foot column in the middle of a traffic circle along Paseo de la Reforma, the busiest street in Mexico City. Around mid-afternoon on Election Day, a construction crew arrived outside. They started building a stage. The election continued. The press clippings continued. The construction continued. That evening, people started gathering in front of the angel in front of the empty stage. Then that night, three things happened in quick succession. First, the independent Federal Electoral Institute announced that Vicente Fox had been elected president of Mexico. For the first time in 70 years, the political opposition had won a presidential election. Second, the outgoing term-limited president of Mexico, Ernesto Zedillo, appeared on television to announce his support for the result so that his political party would not challenge the outcome. Third, everyone at the stage in front of El Angel broke out into cheers. The stage had been built by the Fox campaign for his victory speech. The lead staffer on the election observer mission was Robert Pastor. He led us out of the hotel and around to the rear of the stage. Somehow, he managed to talk himself and the rest of our delegation into getting backstage at the victory speech. The president-elect gave his victory speech. Then the crowd started chanting. They were chanting, No nos falles. Don't let us down. For 70 years, one party had controlled Mexico. Now the people had elected a new political leader. 
and they weren't about to be let down. No nos falles. Joining us today is Pablo Manriquez, a congressional correspondent for Latino Rebels and La Política Online. Pablo, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Wyatt. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. We're always interested in the biographies of our guests. How about you uh, give us your life story in two minutes or less? Nice. Actually, I can give it to you in even less than two minutes. So basically, I was born in Chile, raised in Missouri, went to Notre Dame where I studied political science and worked on a couple of political campaigns in college, uh, notably in the general election in the UK and the Chilean presidential election uh, in that year. So it was 2005. It was a general election with um, it was Tony Blair's government. And then in 2005 was also the year that Michelle Bachelet became the first woman to be the president of Chile. I think she was the first, one of the first women to be president in all of Latin America. Politics from then on became my thing. And so I came to Washington to be a political reporter and a time of economic collapse and industry collapse. Like, so there weren't a whole lot of jobs for people who had just graduated college in 2006, 2007. And the news industry was meeting the internet for the first time and really having a tough, a tough time coping with that change. So, I spent third. I came here with the dream of being a reporter. I spent 13 years doing other things, basically every job you could think of in media. Uh, like, I mean, starting with social media, digital media, these kinds of medias that are like big for the millennial generation that I'm part of, um, that are now normal. At the time, they were kind of these innovative new things. So I came up through that, through booking. TV media for party officials with uh, during elections um, and other people afterwards. So it's just a lot of different jobs in media. But after 13 years, I finally got the job that I came here to do, which is to be a journalist. And so I guess that's my life story. I think we're under two minutes or no. No, that's great. That's great. Um, you know, I think the other interesting thing about the fact that, you know, you, you are a journalist now and that's been your ambition for a long time and leading up to it, you've done all the other roles. A lot of people, right. when they go, when they go through the revolving door, they start as a journalist and then they get into into public relations or being like a party spokesperson or something like that. What what has all that previous experience taught you about journalism? Well, the great thing is, is that I've worked on a story at every. I've worked on every part of a story that the journalist doesn't work on. You know what I mean? Like as a source, as a researcher. As a, as a background source, an on-background source, an off-the-record source, an on-the-record source, and as a researcher, somebody compiling materials for reporters to put into a story. And for every different angle to get in, get your story in with a reporter, I feel like I've done a million times over as a publicist. So now that I'm a journalist, the, this is, the shift is twofold, right? The advocates and the people and the causes that you had beforehand, right, um, they become your sources, Right. So it's sort of like that's an important transition that actually Maria Hinoosa, the founder of Futuro Media, writes about in her book, because when she was in college, she was sort of like an advocate, more of like an activist. And then when she became a journalist, um, those people became her sources. And I'm finding that that transition is the same as it's the same as what's happening to me. And the other big shift, obviously, is that there's a certain dignity about having say a, a capital press pass, like the ability to enter the Capitol and talk to lawmakers as a member of the press 
is something that you have to take really seriously because it's in the Constitution. It's like a really, really important freedom exercised at the very highest level of the craft. So I am coming in to this journalism world at the at a very high, probably the most high profile be in the country for in my case right now, especially coming into like sort of a vacuum of coverage of his love Latino affairs, which is what I cover. It's like, you want to make a difference. You want to have as much impact as you can. So, you know what I mean? You have to take the place, you have to take the role, you have to take the beat seriously, much more seriously than you would on the publicity, the PR side of things. So I will say this, I was having this conversation with a journalist the other day. There's always a conversation going on. The journalists will always say that like PR is much easier than journalism and journalists and, and uh, PR people will always say that, uh, PR or journalism is much easier than PR. So basically there's always these two sides, journalism and PR of the editorial firewall always point fingers at each other and say, you guys have it so good. You guys have it so easy. Well, I think that I can settle this debate. And I was talking to another guy who also came over from PR. So maybe it's a trend wise, maybe it's a trend, um, into the journalism world who was sitting with me at the Capitol on Friday. And we said, I was like, okay, well, you're somebody else who can answer this question. What would you say is harder PR or journalism? And he said, without even hesitating at all, PR is way harder than journalism, and I couldn't agree more. No, that's true. Well, there's there's so many more PR flacks chasing journalists to get placements. So yeah, just from a numbers game, it's a harder it's a harder way to go. Mm-hmm. So to kind of close out, um, I've got a, a one last question, which is, you know, if you could give one piece of advice to the younger version of yourself, what would that be? Get a dog. I would say like the first thing you need to do is get a dog because I mean, if I would have had a dog, like when I first got to DC, like as soon as it was convenient to have a dog, like as soon as possible, the thing is it's never really convenient to have a dog, especially if you're a social butterfly, because like you have to come home and walk the dog, but having a dog makes you want to kind of stay home. So life is a lot less expensive. I think in DC when you have a dog, plus it's a lot more fulfilling because you know, you have a dog. So with all the cruelty and like, uh, and, and, and with all the evil shit that goes on here in politics, um, there is something pure about having just a wonderful dog to come home to. It's like, that is the Island of like uh, social ability, I guess that like I, I know is consistent and I have it in my day now with my dog, Mabel. But if I, I, I lived in this town 10, 11 years before I got Mabel. So if I could say coming out of college, especially what would I do? It's like, man, first thing you need to do when you graduate is get yourself a dog. That is the most practical, actionable uh, piece of advice uh, we've, we've had so far. <laughs> nice. Pablo, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Wyatt. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to Media Training and Story Making. I'm Wyeth Ruthven. You can find me on Twitter, at WyethWire is my handle. Until next time, remember these three things. Your good work needs to be seen, your voice needs to be heard, your story needs to be told.